Hi, I'm uh, Gavin Givanoni. I'm Professor of Neurology at Bath's and the London School of Medicine and Dentistry. And I'm doing this short podcast uh, to highlight a issue around the reasons why I think healthcare professionals, um, particularly neurologists, are not offering uh, as a routine autologous hemopoietic stem cell transplant or alemtuzumab as treatments for people with multiple sclerosis. Just so that you're aware, both of these treatments are NICE approved. In other words, uh, within the NHS, we allow to use them in eligible patients, but a lot of patients who are eligible uh, are not even offered these treatments uh, for various reasons. Um, The backdrop to this is I was asked actually to speak at the third international symposium on stem cell treatment in multiple sclerosis. That was held in Sheffield last week, and if you want to see the whole program, you can download it. Uh, I've put it online. But I was actually given the task of making the case for using HSCT in treatment-naive patients, in other words, as a a first-line therapy. And um, at the request of one of the people with multiple sclerosis who I met at the meeting, I re-recorded my presentation, putting in a little bit more detail than I've uploaded onto YouTube, and you can watch um, the reasons behind why I think HSCT should be first-line or at least off it. I'm not saying it's a treatment for everybody. And I also go through some of the reasons, particularly all well, the cognitive biases uh, we as MS clinicians have about prescribing or offering HACT and even Adam Tuzumab, uh, the next highest uh, efficacy therapy we have that is available to people with MS. Um, I've also put my presentation online. Uh, I've converted it to a PowerPoint presentation, which you can download. And I would appreciate it if you can disseminate that as widely as possible you're welcome to hack the presentation, use it. Um, you know, I firmly believe that by distributing my slides widely uh, to anybody who wants them, uh, they will use the slides in a sensible way uh, to help disseminate knowledge. This is not about misinformation. This is about making the slides available for, for information. Now, the one issue I realized I didn't discuss uh, in the talk is the issue of time. And you have to be aware that when we neurologists are in clinic, uh, we have to achieve, you know, a quite a lot in a single consultation. And depending on what consultation it is, we often have very little uh, time. So the unintended consequences of this is that some neurologists uh, just simply omit DMTs from the discussion. In other words, they make a decision that they're going to offer patient uh, X or Y rather than X, Y, Z, because as soon as you add options, it means more discussion. And it takes a particularly long time to discuss uh, HACT and atomtuzumab. Um, these therapies are complex. You have to go through their mode of action, how you administer them, the issues around adverse events, how you de-risk these adverse events. For example, with HACT, you've got to discuss the risk of infertility, how you overcome this by egg banking in young women or sperm donation and sperm banking in young men. You've got to talk about antibiotic and antiviral prophylaxis, the impact the treatment's going to have on work, et cetera, et cetera. So this is, this is a time-consuming process. And in an ideal world, you would give people, you know, the four or five options they have, provide them with this brief information, let them go away and bring them back for a follow-up consultation, which we don't have the luxury of doing in a lot of cases. Um, so uh, it, it's a problem. And I've had many neurologists, you know, they don't have a problem not offering them uh, these more complicated treatments that require more discussion because they think the current available treatments that are maintenance therapies, in other words, given continuously, address all the needs they have for managing multiple sclerosis and they don't need these additional therapies. 
Um, and actually, uh, I go through the example, uh, and this is a real-life experience I had in London about three or four years ago, when one of my colleagues said to me bluntly, he does not offer any patients in his practice alemtuzumab or HACT, simply because he thinks they're far too risky, and that because we have so many other treatments available that are less risky, he can't justify the risk. And, you know, my response to him was, you know, too risky for whom? For you or for the patient? Surely the patient is in the best position to assess risk. And I go through the issues of why neurologists have this blinkered response and think these therapies are too risky. And at the end of the day, it's surely the person with the disease who should be making the decision about what's too risky or not. And one of the things we don't tell patients enough uh, in clinic is the consequences of untreated or undertreated MS. Uh, and what we're trying to do is prevent those consequences. And I feel quite strongly about this. I, you know, I think it's a form of medical gaslighting, ignoring patients' requests for more efficacious treatments on the grounds that you think it's too risky is actually not taking them seriously. And I think this is something we have to push back against. And I think it's a terribly sad state of affairs uh, we find ourselves in, particularly in the current healthcare crisis, that healthcare professionals are so overworked that they don't have sufficient time to discuss all of their available treatment options to their patients. And I'm not talking about experimental treatments. I'm talking about treatments that have been green-lighted and NICE-approved. And a lot of neurologists in this country do not understand that uh, HACT is green-lighted by NICE to treat people with multiple sclerosis. And there is a separate uh, technology appraisal online uh, via the hematology units of people run bone marrow transplant units uh, saying exactly this. Uh, and so I come to it from a different angle. I actually think the fact that it's nice and green-lighted by nice, it has legal implications. So not offering people who are potentially eligible for these treatments is putting you at risk uh, of a legal challenge. Uh, and, uh, and maybe that's what's needed. Maybe we need a disgruntled patient who's been disadvantaged, who's cross, who wants to uh, take this further to actually uh, make a legal case against a particular MS service, neurologist, or particular NHS trust <clears throat> that they were undertreated or not offered the treatments available to them. And maybe by having a legal case and somebody found uh, to be irresponsible by not offering the treatments will then prompt or nudge the rest of the MS community to actually take this much more seriously. Um, uh, than they are. <laughs> anyway, what prompted me to do this podcast and this very short uh, MS Selfie newsletter is to discuss this time issue. Uh, and the reason why I say that in this week's British Medical Journal, there was an analysis piece on the impact of, of the time needed to treat, how it affects uh, general practitioners uh, adopting specific guidelines. And if a guideline takes too long, for example, telling sedentary people to exercise takes too long. The GPs just don't implement it and the guideline is lost. In other words, the patient and the population of patients who are eligible for the guideline aren't, aren't given it and don't benefit from its uh, positive uh, health impact. So the time needed to explain or the time needed to treat uh, acts as a major, what I call friction, to the adopting of innovations and it's holding back uh, better outcomes and better quality of care. So if you do have personal stories to tell us, if you're interested uh, in interacting with us, 
Um, I would like to hear from you if you think your care has been compromised by your healthcare professional not having enough time to cover all the potential treatment options. And I'd also be interested to know, uh, after what you're watching the online uh, uh, YouTube video of my, of my talk, if you, think, if you agree that HSCT should be available as a treatment option uh, on the NHS, and specifically if it should be a first-line treatment option. I feel that it should be, and one of the reasons why I think is because of the founding principles of the NHS. The NHS requires uh, equity. In other words, you should all be off, offered the treatment, and it should be free at point of care. At the moment, HACT is not equitable. In other words, very few centres are offering it or providing it. So a lot of people are not getting it, and that's what we refer to as post-prescribing. And some people are having to actually use private finance to go abroad. Uh, a lot of them go to Mexico. In the past, they were going to Russia and other centres uh, to have HACT. And some can go in, even to the private sector within the UK and get the treatment. So they've been told, I can't have it on the NHS, but I can have it in the private sector. And I think that's just uh, plain, you know, that's just wrong. Uh, and so what's happening is people who are wealthy, who are more informed, who can afford private healthcare, are getting the most effective treatments and the rest of the population are not. So I do feel strongly that we as a healthcare system should uh, make an attempt to uh, make HSCT first line. The good news is we are recruiting for a trial called the STAR-MS trial, uh, which can take people who are naive, in other words, haven't been on a DMT, and they get randomized either to HSCT or to one of the other high-efficacy treatments, and the decision about which one to choose is made between them and their, con their consultant. So there is this trial. Uh, it has quite strict um, recruitment criteria, and there's a previous MS selfie that goes through uh, that issue. So please uh, read the MS selfie newsletter, listen to this podcast, watch the lecture I've that I put on YouTube and get back to us. I'll try and respond to all your uh, questions. And finally, you can possibly read the BMJ article. I'll put the link up there as well. And uh, I'd also like you to subscribe and donate money to MSLF if you can. I'm using the income that I generate uh, from MSLF, from your kind donations and subscriptions uh, to um, pay a medical writer and web designer who are developing a MS Selfie microsite where all this information will be curated and easy to find.